Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. May 7th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Mike Abadir Show. I am Gino Bacola, the co-host here each and every week with my good friend, the man whose name is on the marquee, Mike Abadir. Mike, buddy, how you doing? What's good, Gino? Not too much, man. We're we're looking like um, from some of the stuff in, in baseball, it sounds like. Some of the stuff we're hearing in basketball, it sounds like. We got the NFL schedule coming out a little bit later on. It looks like a few of these racetracks are looking to get back opened up. So some positivity, at least in the world and in the world of sports, um, we probably won't have anything with spectators for a while, but we got to get step one before we get to step two, four, five, and 10, right? Yeah. Let's start with the, uh, let's start with the, the last that you mentioned and then I'll work our way backwards, uh, horse racing. So I believe we've got confirmed golden gate next Thursday, a week from today, correct? I think the, the 14th and the 15th, are the days that you're going to be seeing for most tracks. So Golden Gate has confirmed. Santa Anita, they are waiting on confirmation. Their condition book is out. They've got a new stake schedule. They're all set. They're pointed for the 15th as their day to start back up, and hopefully they can run Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So they're down. Churchill Downs, they're all set. They've got their plan all ready. They've got their stake schedule all set up. They've they've basically got everything ready where horses are going to be shipping in in just the next few days from all sorts of different racetracks. So Churchill Downs is set. Um, I just, got, by the way, uh, sorry to interrupt you. I just no, confirmed. Uh, uh, so David Duggan, the uh, general manager at Golden Gate, it is the uh, 14th, which is Thursday. They're Thursday. Santa Anita is Friday. Yeah, Santa Anita is Friday and not Saturday, right? It's, uh, yes, I believe they would be just going Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the rest of the meet. Um, New York, no Thursdays. I don't think. I think think just Monday for them. Um, you think the Monday Memorial the Day, Memorial Monday, and I think it's just going to be Friday, true. Saturday, Sunday. Um, You'd think their horse population is super replenished by now, but I guess they just want to have like kick-ass big field, yeah, know, cards I, fields and such. And that's what we're going to get from a lot of places. Um, it looks like Indiana Grand has a date circled, I believe, um, that Bill Downs just tweeted about a little earlier. Charlestown. Well. Charlestown and West Virginia, they're ready to rock. They're going to be back open next weekend also. Um, and so when you look at the the big race So you've rattled off, what, about seven, eight? Yeah. Ten I mean, tracks. The two Good big stuff. ones in California, you get the two West Virginia ones, Charlestown and Mountaineer. You get uh, Churchill Downs right there also so there's five that are uh, that are ready to rock uh, going to be ready to rock next week so I, the real big one that's going to be waiting in the wings obviously is going to be new york because they're right in in kind of the epicenter of a lot of the coronavirus stuff and so they're going to have to be kind of waiting a little bit longer than other places because they're under a little bit more strict protocols than than some others so hey you know what oaklawn honor will rogers um Gulfstream, some of the tracks that have have remained open They've done a really good job of changing some of the protocols, whether it be, you know, less people handling the horses, less interaction with other people, not needing as much staff to put on a full day's worth of races, the mask, the social distancing. I saw one thing that I liked at Oakland. Um, Nancy Yuri over the weekend was doing an interview with one of the winning jockeys and she was standing five feet away from them and they had uh, a microphone also. 
And so they weren't next to each other doing your normal, like, she's holding up the mic for him. They each had their own microphone so they could just talk to each other from standing away. So, you know what? I applaud all of those things. They've done a good job to make sure that nothing continued. And as long as they every track continues to do that, I'm fine with them opening back up. I want people to be able to make their money. I know this is the lifeblood for many, many people out there. And that they've been hurting when you just miss a week, let alone, you know, a couple months. So just make I just hope that at all these tracks, and I've seen them at Santa Anita, they've already got a list of things that they're going to be doing different. How they saddle horses, um, not in the saddling area. They're not going to be in as many enclosed type places. It's going to be stuff that's more out in the open and less handing off. I love that. They've had to make some changes. They've done it. So let's get them back open. Completely agree with you. And I like that one of the things that has at least... I don't want to say been at the forefront of their minds, but it's the very first time in a long time that I felt that they're kind of listening. The industry, or at least the tracks that have been running, are listening to what the fans and the betters want. We've seen examples of that. Uh, Will Rogers. I believe that both Will Rogers and and Foner, where you've included maybe rolling pick threes when you didn't have them, maybe added another pick five to have uh, one in the front and one in the back multiple pick fours, you know, and it wasn't, and those weren't all intact when those meets started. So I like, if this is a trend, I hope it keeps going because I haven't felt a sense of, Hey, they're listening. They like the uh, handle we've seen Sam Houston, which I know you were very high on and very successful with. They listened to the fans and we saw that with the reduced takeout in the horizontal wagers. Uh, so, I mean, you know me, Gino, I'm kind of an optimist, and I kind of like that there's some positives. Sure. And I think we've got a great appreciation now for all the things that we've missed, you know, like even for me in baseball, just, I guess, transitioning to baseball. KBO, KBO. you're watching the Korean games yeah, at well, 10 to 11 o'clock Pacific time. Yeah, yeah, staying up a little late, doing a little bit of work and, uh, and, and watching and just hearing the crack of the bat, seeing a guy take his lead off of first base you know, uh, the pitcher throwing back to the first baseman, you know, the sound of the ball popping into the catcher's mitt from the pitcher and I, all I saw those things. I'm like, few- I miss those things. And this is a good, this is like good level baseball too. This is, you know, you, we, we had both, um, kind of referenced the tweet. Um, but, but there was a tweet going around that, that, um, our, our buddy, um, 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 has, has posted to kind of compare the, about the Kyle Glazer one, the Glazer tweet to yep. that, that yep. like compared the different levels. So where does the, the KBO kind of stack up compared to some of the levels of baseball that we know? Yeah. So what, what he did was he, what Gino's talking about is he sent out a tweet where he kind of rated everything from the mm-hmm. major leagues all the way down to the minors. Where do you insert Japan, where do you insert the KBO, etc. KBO was kind of like above a, a double A, mm-hmm. uh, but below a triple A. So you're talking, you know, some uh, some pretty good quality baseball. Now, I think people need to understand when you see something like that, we're talking about it as a whole on totality. Now, that doesn't mean that there are players there that are major league level, because sure. probably the best player or two, maybe even three on each team, or at least on the good teams, are probably major league, you know, have major league capabilities at least. 
maybe they're not a starter. Maybe they're a bench guy. You know, maybe a starter, uh, starting pitcher in that league would be a reliever in baseball. Maybe a first baseman would translate to a first baseman. And I'm going to tell you right now, I have no idea what the posting rules are or how it works with that international pool from, from the KBO. But what we do know is that the few players that have come over from Korea have done pretty well. They have, they've made a good name for themselves. As I generally you. I, yeah, you absolutely, and I say the same thing about the the players that have come from Japan. Um, not so much from Taiwan. The Red Sox actually have had one one player come over from Taiwan, middle infielder, hasn't really stuck, been up and down in the minors. You called up. I think he's got a better glove, a little bit of speed, but he's not at all a hitter. I mean, the the Dodgers have had tons of success with the Asian um, with oh, the Asian yeah. players throughout their history, from Hideo to Chanho Park, from you know the different Korean, J- Japanese, uh, even some Chinese. Like they've they've had lots of it, and you get it because there's such a um, an Asian influence on the West Coast and in California in particular. So they get a lot of that support and a lot of fan support. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of that is with the Hispanics too, because California is so diverse here. You get so many different cultures that it's a great spot when you bring an international player in for them to not feel, um, for not necessarily feel like a fish out of water. They can kind of feel a little bit at home um, with some of their their people that are actually around. So um, there's a player named Dan Straley who you probably mentioned. You know, a name that you we've we've all seen. One time or another, and he was, you know, in the he was in the in the MLB for a while, and um, he's he's over there. I actually read a really good story on him as how he is over in the KBO. He's playing for the Lottie Giants right now, and he had kind of talked about how he went over there, like right when the whole all the virus had hit, and he was talking about how what the the culture was like with them and, and some of the restrictions that they put on, and if this season was going to go. And it was really insightful to hear him talk about you know being over there. And, you know, talking to some of the people who are back home because he was kind of like ahead of everything. It's almost like, you know, you're watching like you're watching a TV show on East Coast time when you're in the West Coast. Right. Like he, that's kind of what he was in, in Korea with the virus stuff. Like he saw everything coming before we did. And he had the, like a, like real insight and just hearing him discuss the difference in the major leagues and and how he's over there. And they have, you know, people that are there to help him learn the language and to help him learn the culture and to help him get food and go to different places. So you, you if you're watching some of these games, there are going to be a lot of those journeyman players just like him that were like somebody's fourth starter or somebody's like middle reliever in the bullpen. Maybe they had an injury. They're looking to get back into the majors. And this is a good way for them to get some tape against you know, like a good level of players where they can say, hey, look, I'm, I'm ready to rock. Yeah, no, I think you make an excellent point because we were, you know, initially talking about the guys that come from there to here, mm-hmm. but it goes the other direction too. Yep. You know, sometimes it's somebody that wants to get a jump start on his career. Maybe they've been in the minors, been called up, sent back down, have an opportunity to be able to swing the stick 400 plus at bats or played opportunities in a season and assert themselves. Great example of that, obviously, is Eric Thames. Yep. He went over there. He was an MVP in that league. He hit over 370 with 40-plus home runs, even stole 40 bases somehow. Uh, that's mind-boggling to me because in his entire major and minor league career, he's got 40 over here, but he got 40 in one season over there. Good for him. And he came back, and he was bashing, man, especially that first like two, three months he was over here. He was swinging a hot stick. So it goes both ways. Kind of cool to see, though, when a guy like a journeyman, like you mentioned, you know, gives us kind of that insight, helps transition us into acclimating to what this game is all about. And I know they've had some others who have actually worked with Carl Ravitch uh, and Perez to be able to do their broadcast and things of that nature. So like you mentioned at the top of the show, Gino, these are all exciting signs 
getting us prepped for the real deal, which hopefully is right around the corner. Yeah. And we're going to get, you know, into some of the NFL stuff with the schedule coming out just a little later on. So that should be fun. That's always a a sign of hope for uh, for everyone. But it's like while we're on the baseball um, topic, it seems like, you know, every this is such a a fluid situation, right? All the COVID, the coronavirus stuff. Like, unfortunately, we don't have a precedent to go back on and say, hey, this is what we did last time this happened. So, you know, this is what we should do again. It's all in motion. I think day to day with the way that the numbers look and and what we see about the trends and stuff like that, all these sporting leagues are kind of waiting. They have all these kind of different contingency plans. They have audibles. It seems like this. the newest is that the players and the owners, they really want to be trying their best to be playing in their own ballparks. That That's kind of where they are, at least today, right now, like Thursday evening when we're talking. Yeah, I think the, the main pushback towards the original plan, which was to play the games in a centralized location like Arizona, was that... You know, because look, baseball, you play every single day, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're at the ballpark a lot of hours, not just during the two or three hours or four hours of game time. So basically, if they did that, they weren't going to see their families ever for pretty for much four the months. Season. Exactly. Yep. So th- that was the main pushback. And the union, I think, was very divided. It was, it was split from what I'm hearing. You know, uh, you had some players that are like, hey, I just want to play ball. And those mm-hmm. are probably the single guys. The young guys you know? that just want to make the a name young for guys. themselves. Yeah, exactly. Hey, whatever you hey, need, I'm I'll called do up it. the big leagues. Yeah, I'm called up the big leagues. I'm, I'll go to the Mars if I have to. It doesn't matter, right? And then you have some of the other guys. They have newborns or they have children who are I think those needing were like their parents during the big, COVID situation. It's scary, you know? Two of those big guys were Trout and Kershaw, both, who, who both had said they don't want to be away from their families. Um, so, you know, when you have two guys with that kind of like uh, panache in, you know, and that kind of cachet in, in baseball, then the rest of the league is going to definitely take a take a second look. Yeah. And I think I think the more the more they looked at that, you know, they kind of started seeing some of the other flaws in the plan as well. You it, know, and we talked about it quite a bit like in Arizona. It would have been, I mean, been hard. To do even just the weather alone. I mean, 120 degree heat. You know, on some of the worst days of the summer, consistently 104, 105, you only have one dome to play in. You know, uh, I think it would have been tough. And if and if you can't play until nighttime when it cools off from 105 to 90, how are the East Coast people going to watch games? So there were some issues with Arizona in particular that just could not be solved or fixed. And I think that's what kind of brought them back to their home stadiums. The problem, though, that we're going to have here, Gino, is that as and look, let's face it. With the COVID situation, I think there's no turning back now. People, I don't know how it is. In, in, in for reference point, I'm more kind of in the West LA area. Gino's kind of more in the Santa Anita, Pasadena, kind of that and part actually, of, I'm in, of I'm the in Great Long Beach Los Angeles. now for the most oh, part. Or Long Beach, a lot of the oh, time, yeah, yeah. The Long Beach. So I don't know how it is over there, uh, but over here, you know, from two, three, four weeks ago, man, it's almost getting like. The streets are getting full again. Oh, people, yeah. are out, people are you know. fidgety, especially because the weather, like where we are yeah. now, it's gotten yep. hot. And so people don't want to stay inside. And I'm okay with going out and going for a walk and stuff like that. But what scares me a little bit is that there's there's not a balance that it should be, right? Like I get wanting to get everything back opened. I get wanting to open stuff back up and let's try to get stuff running as long as we're still using some safety and some protocol. You know, and it just it, seems like the floodgates opened, didn't it? 
because the people that are out and that are pushing for everything to get back to normal, they're the people that aren't wearing masks and gloves. That's that's what's unfortunate. So if if they're saying, hey, you know what? I'm struggling. I don't have money. My business needs to get back open. And they're out there preaching that with their masks, with their gloves, and they're standing far away and they're saying, hey, we just need some way for my family to survive. I get that. But those aren't the te- the people. That's not what they're doing. It's the people that are protesting at the beach in a group of 40, 50,000, you know, like thousands of people that are right there and they're all on top of each other screaming. Like those are the ones that makes me a little bit nervous because we have to look around and say, okay, if the numbers are going down or if they're going, whatever, whatever's happening, like the staying inside has at least seemed to work in a lot of places, staying away from each other, the the masks, the, the, the cutting things down. So I, I think that being a little extra cautious if it's going to mean opening stuff back up is fine. We just don't have to get so combative and so argumentative on, on everything. It doesn't have to be extreme, extreme, extreme. It can be, hey, this is a process. We're all trying to, to do what's best together. We're all learning on the fly here. I completely agree with you 100%. And so it's on that point as we kind of bring it back full circle to baseball. I anticipate some issues because you have – 30 major league teams who are going to be playing at their home ballparks. Are you telling me that out of those, and let's just say out of 30 teams, because we have some teams that play in the same market, being two in the Bay Area, two in Los Angeles, uh, two in, in New York, New York um, yeah. and then Back another, years, what, yeah. 26 or whatever it is, 24 other markets, that one or two of those markets aren't going to experience a surge, maybe yep. even a big surge, maybe even four markets, five And then markets, what happens with the ten, travel? Then what happens? And I think that's the main concern. So at least, I guess if there is a good thing, it's that this surge, this opening of the floodgates, as I'm referring to, people back out, is happening now. Because then we'll have two or three weeks to kind of see, is there a surge? Or is it one of those things where people are out, but they're still being careful, they're keeping their space? Um, because I don't think that everybody is like the troublemakers that we were just talking about. No, they're not. I think it's, those it's, are the, it's tough to say everyone is that way. Some of those troublemakers are even unemployed and never had a job, don't own a business. I think they're out there just to go be a-holes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, and, I think there are a lot of responsible people that are out there. I would say a majority of the people are good, honest, hardworking people that just want to get life back going again. And uh, maybe even some are willing to take some risks. Uh, because they have no other choice, no other option. I'm not going to necessarily clown on them or shame them or criticize them, but at the same time, we're all in this together, and it's, it's very hard to get 350 divisive. million people on the same yeah. exact page. So we'll see what happens, but baseball well, has to have a plan B in place. for some, and some of the things that I've read, and the Athletic has done a good job, covering um, this on a daily basis pretty much. It sounds like there are some plan Bs. I'm not privy to what those plan Bs are, but I suspect it's going to be something along the lines of if whatever, Philadelphia, God forbid, has a surge, then they could go play their home games in X or Y or Z. You know what I mean? Yeah, they got to have some backup plans. Maybe it's a college stadium in in a neighboring, you know, county, perhaps. I don't know, but I know that they they have to have backup plans in every single market in order for this to work. Gino, okay. let's take a commercial break. Let's do it. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We'll also talk to the man himself, Rick Saratella from the NFL Draft Bible. We'll talk a little NFL schedule, NFL draft, get his thoughts on what hopefully will be a fantastic 2020 season. Stay with us. We will be right back. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, and we have uh, our guest on the line, Mike. I'm, I'm pretty sure... He has joined us more than anyone over the couple years of the Mike Abadir Show. It's our very good friend. Why don't you introduce him? Yeah, he needs no introduction, really, Gino. It is the man, the legend, Rick Saratella of the NFL Draft Bible, doing big things as always. Rick, how are you doing, my friend? Oh, man, quarantine life over here, and I appreciate it, fellas. I got that yellow jacket in the mail since (laughs) our last conversation, so (laughs) I always love chopping it up and was listening into the show, you know, uh, really interesting conversation in, in, in terms of, you know, just opening up the country and more importantly for us, greedily opening up the uh, sports world. Yeah, and, you know, I want to get some updates on the NFL Draft Bible and you guys are doing big things, dealing with the NFL Network and some of their big personnel and talent from over there. And we'll get to all that, but we were having an interesting conversation during the brief break we had commercial break we had and uh and we were talking about the return of baseball and and playing in their home stadiums versus doing a round robin perhaps or something like that in a regional regionalized area and one of the things that dawned on me guys was part of baseball's branding are the stadiums fenway park wrigley field Etc. Like basketball, you could go play it anywhere. It doesn't really matter. You could slap on the Lakers logo, let's go, right? Football, same thing. Play in whatever field. Stadium is not necessarily a big part of the event. Whereas, it, I mean, man, when you watch a game and you see a baseball game being played, let's just say, at a spring training facility, looks like a college baseball field or whatever, it's nice and manicured well. But versus when you're watching a game, you see Wrigley Field, you see Fenway Park, you see the Bay in San Francisco, even Dodger Stadium. Like, in two seconds of turning on the TV, you know where the game is being played at. And that's a big part of their branding. And I think that's a 
big part of what they don't want to lose. What say you? Either of you. Well, you know, I'll chime in here and I'll say I'll say this. You know, I think we're heading for a season without fans, right? So if that's the situation, what makes the most sense? I think making the most sense is, uh, you know, if you're down in Florida where you have stadiums all within driving distance and you can, you know, bunk these guys up in a hotel and, you know, do that round-robin type of tournament instead of playing a nine-inning game, hey, every day you play a seven-inning seven doubleheader. And if it, you know, ends up in a tie, so be it. But you got two games in per day instead of one game in. And, uh, you know, I think, hey, if if they could say, hey, sign us up for a 40-game season, I think they'd take that right now. So you don't find the stadium thing to be a very compelling kind of objective? Well, if there's no fans in the stadium, I mean, oh, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know, I mean, we gotta we got to put our safety first and – these are unprecedented circumstances. And yeah, as much as I want to see baseball at Yankee Stadium, absolutely I want to turn it on and see the, the mecca of baseball. But at the same time, I'd be happy just to have baseball. And, you know, now you're talking about teams that have to travel. And, uh, you know, you got guys from Toronto traveling across the border to the Bronx. I mean, why not just stay down in Florida for the entire, you know, two-month season or whatever they're going to get in and just stay in one location you know, why do we have to travel, put everybody at risk, just, you know, keep them in the same town, play around Robin. Hey, we're not going to have interleague play this year, just like the NFL. We're not going to have international games. It's going to be more regionalized. And, you know, that's the new reality for getting through this season if we want to have baseball. What are your thoughts, Gino? You know, I'm, I'm kind of with Rick in that I'm at the point now where any of these these leagues that, that start back up, whatever is the decision they make, it's going to be something that both the owners and the players have decided on. And you know what? I'm fine with understanding that this is unprecedented times. This isn't going to be something that's an every year thing. And if, if any, any agreement that players and owners and like players in the leagues can come to about how they're going to get their seasons in, I'm fine with that. I really am. Like, I'm fine with if it's a tournament situations. I'm fine with them playing doubleheader. Like, I'm not going to really get mad and say, well, this isn't what baseball was like or this isn't what the NFL was like before because the world hasn't been like this before. And maybe next year, two years, we get back to some normalcy with the seasons, with some fans. That's fine. But for right now, hey, if we can get things back up and if and if the players are fine with the being quarantined, that's fine by me. If they're able to figure out some sort of a plan where it's the, the West Coast teams playing more on the West Coast, like I, I know we saw like the divisions realign. Like I don't I'm not gonna get too traditionalist with anything right now with any of these sports. I'm like just gonna be happy when we get stuff back. I think you guys both make some uh, compelling points. I think the the last big one in terms of Major League Baseball having to address this is everybody's got homes, places to live, whether it be off-season, during-season, or maybe that's one and the same for your front office, for your players, for your bat boys, you name it. So the other concern is, well, if you do what we're talking about, playing regionalized, now you got to essentially move 30 teams to Florida for an extended period of time or to Arizona for an extended period of time. What does everybody do with their leases? So on and so forth. So there, there's well, some you know, hey, kind of a major league baseball. 
Wait a second, Mike. It's Major League Baseball. These guys can afford it now. I'm not going to shed a tear because they got to go and relocate to go play the game of baseball for two months and make a few million bucks. I mean, hey, put your big boy pants on, buckle up, and let's go. But, hey, we got to make it happen here. And, you know, yeah, but, what, 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 you're right, but what about, the, smarter thing, what about the, what's the smarter thing? Traveling and putting your family at risk because you're traveling back and forth to games and then spending time with your family or the smarter, safer thing to do is go isolate yourself for this two-month season or whatever it is and keep your family safe. And then you, you leave the front office and your PR departments and communi- you know, and everybody back in their home base. See, that's where it just gets kind of tricky. Bat boys, so on and so forth. I mean, are you moving an entire organization or just the players on the field? Uh, you know, that, that's kind of the difference. No, no, you're right. And, and, and that's, you're, you're right, Mike. And that's where it does. It, like, that's the one thing about a lot of this is everything's going to be tricky, which is unfortunate. Like all of this sucks <laughs> that we're dealing with right now. So nothing, well, I don't you, have any, a, you have essential businesses and now we're going to have essential employees. The manager's got to be there. The GM probably has to be there. You know, the, the, the PR social media assistant, you can probably work from home. But I mean, you know, I think, again, the solution can't be bigger than the problem, right? And I think that's mm-hmm. where we're at right now because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, the transition into football world, right? Yep. I work with the American National Scouting Combine. They're starting up combines June 7th in St. Louis, right? Okay. They've got five consecutive weekends of combines. I'm going to be in every single one. My wife is saying, well, what are you doing? You've got blood clots in your, in your lungs, so I, I, I fall under the pre-existing conditions. But my point is, Samantha, what do you think? It's, the, the world is suddenly going to change? Because a year from now, guess what? It's not going to be any different. So do you want to die financially or do you want to die physically? And that's the boat we're all living in, right? Because you know what? I, I can't put my life on hold because a year from now I could be in the same situation. And so what? I'm going to stay in my house because... We don't have a vaccine. So you got to go out. You got to take some risk. You got to be smart. You got to be safe. I'll drive to St. Louis. No problem. I'll drive to Baltimore. No problem. You know, well, it's LA, kind of on that. It's, 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 go ahead, Rick. Yeah. No, well, uh, I, LA, maybe I won't go that far. But, you know, I mean, you got to be smart. You got to be safe. But at the same time, like, hey, I'm living in New Jersey. I saw a stat today. Crazy. 2020 is a 90% increase of deaths in New Jersey for this same period of time last year. 90% increase of deaths more than any other state in the country. It's unbelievable. But at the same time, I can't, I can't just sit here and wait for a vaccine to suddenly appear. That is crazy because in California, I think, uh, don't quote me on the numbers. I'm not even going to cite them. But I think it's, uh, it's very off from that. Because there's actually been some lives saved, you know, there's not like very many car accidents and everybody's just at home, you know, uh, murder rates gone down, that type of thing. But uh, I know uh, you guys have been hit there like no other and um, definitely keeping New York, New Jersey in, uh, in my prayers, difficult times there. But on that same note, though, uh, one final kind of point to throw out there is this. I've actually heard several mayors of some of these towns basically talking to, to team, the front office of teams, owners, uh, general managers, et cetera, 
and practically begging them, hey, we need you here. Our, t- our city needs you for healing. We need the New York Mets here. We need the Yankees here. And that's kind of been a sentiment that I think is one of the reasons amongst many that got major, as well as what, what Gino and I were talking about before the commercial, which is the union and the players wanting to be, you know, they don't want to be separated from their families. Uh, but that that aspect of things really kind of hit them, hit them kind of hard. Like, hey, there's a patriotic element to this. Getting back to playing, it's kind of like after 9-11, there is a sense of healing and being just having a sense of normalcy, them being on the field, something to root for, a distraction for three hours every evening is really, really big. And there was that sentiment from the mayors or governors, we want you here, if at all possible. So well, the all interesting is stuff. Whether, last point, though, whether they're playing in New York or playing in Florida, the reality is you can't go to the stadium anyway. So yeah, you're no, gonna, you're gonna, ultimately you're going to heal by watching it on TV. So I think Agreed. the bottom line is, yes, we need to heal. But we need to get it on, and we need to make it happen, whatever, at all costs. Let's do the damn thing. <laughs> well, well, speaking of getting it on, man, I know that we have our schedule release coming up here at the top of the hour, but I got a little treat for you guys. I got uh, an advanced peek at a couple of these schedules, and, uh, and I think you guys will find uh, the Saints schedule we'll start with. Very interesting. They got the preseason games here in LA, uh, which is which I like that, um, and that's going to be somewhere between August 13th and 17th. Has not been decided yet, even though the schedule's out um, at Pittsburgh, and then at home against Houston and, and the Miami Dolphins. Opening day will be September 13th, and they got that showdown: Breeze against Brady. September 13th, that is going to be at in the uh, Dome, so that's in New Orleans. Where it gets really interesting is. The week after, they get to christen Vegas for Monday night action. Ooh. Saints at the Las Vegas Raiders on September 21st. That's a big highlight. Um, outside of that, I was telling Gino before we got on the air, uh, they got the Packers on the 27th of September. They got the 49ers in November. Uh, I got a feeling Mike Abadir is going to be at that Vegas game if he can possibly in any way, shape, or form. If they're going to allow him, (laughs) he's going to get some sort of a weird – he's going to become um, essential businesses for that few days, I figure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, believe me, that's kind of when I'm hitting up my peeps, like, hey, can I get that field pass? Calling that favor, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, they also – they get the Packers, the 49ers, the Broncos, Eagles, Chiefs. And not an easy schedule. Friday, no, not at all, man. And then they got a Friday night, well, Friday afternoon, I should say, game against the Vikings on Christmas Day. So, very difficult schedule. They get to face all of last year's top teams, at least. What do you think, Rick? I mean, uh, you know, the uh, I thought, uh, you know, I, I thought that this was going to be one of those years where, uh, when you get the schedule, it's kind of hard to make sales out of it. But I'm I'm making heads out of it. This is a tough schedule. Well, you know, and I, and I got a big smile on my face as you read this off. Nobody's more excited about it than me. But I, I feel like it's like the land of make believe here because I mean I listened to to, to the uh, governor of California say there's not going to be any football here until Thanksgiving time, and uh, I, I believe that's the same thing in New Jersey too. So 
you know, uh, I think the reality that we're looking at, I, I get it. The NFL wants to create create excitement, and they've done a great job of maintaining and sustaining, as as well Clyde Frazier might say. But you know, at the end of the day, they have a contingency plan built in. I think they're they're willing to lose up to four games, and they have a contingency plan built into the schedule. So you'll notice there are no interconference games during the first four weeks. So, you know, I believe that, hey, worst-case scenario, if they got to push the season back a month, you know, they'll tack on those first four weeks of the season to the back end of the schedule, maybe push the Super Bowl back a month if they have to. And if they have to delay it two months, well, then I think those first four games go away and the second four games get tacked on to the back end of the schedule. But Well, you know, let me hey, jump in on that, Rick, full... because I think, I yeah. think that was what they hoped – uh, but I don't think it turned out like that. I'm looking at the uh, Chiefs schedule right now, and they go right at it, man. Week two, they got the Chargers. Huh. Okay. Yeah, because so, yeah. I had heard so, too, Rick, that they were because they would have made it easier to just chop off those first four, those first five games if need yeah. be. And, and I think that or, was initially what they were thinking, but I guess uh, you got you, you to tweak some things a little bit if you're if you're going to try to get Brady on primetime every week, right? <laughs> So, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I think, yeah. Actually, the Chiefs um, they they, st- they open with um, at home against Houston, then at LA Chargers, Week Three Baltimore Monday Night game. That should be an amazing game at Arrowhead Chiefs Baltimore, and then Week Four at New England, Week Five Raiders. Mm. That's the first five. Uh, and I'll quickly rattle well, off the rest. Baltimore, Buffalo, that Denver. could be the AFC championship preview right there. Sure could. Sure could. Then at Buffalo, at Denver, home Jets, home Carolina. They get their bye week in week 10. At Las Vegas, at Tampa, home Denver, at Miami, at New Orleans, home Atlanta, closing back here at in L.A. against the Chargers. So that's the championship schedule right there. Gentlemen, let's take a quick commercial break and then uh, resume the conversation. NFL schedule just uh, released and um, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Stay with us. We'll be back in a quick moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here closing things up on the Mike Abadir Show with our good friend Rick Saratella from NFL Draft Bible. And the NFL schedules have just started kind of creeping out now. They're going to be released in a big show coming up in just about 20 minutes. But um, most fan bases kind of know at least what their um, schedule looks like. Mike's been reading a, a couple to us. How about this one, Mike? This one's a little bit interesting to me. This is the Patriots schedule this year. So they uh, they open up with Miami. Then they play the Seahawks, the Raiders, Kansas City, Denver, who's going to be much improved. They got the 49ers. There you go. Bills, Jets, Ravens, Texans, Cardinals, who are going to be better, Chargers, um, Rams, Dolphins, and then Bills and Jets. That's not an easy schedule for a Patriots team that's going to be a, a Sands Tom Brady Patriots team. You know, this is going to be a very telling year as to was it more Brady or was it more Belichick, isn't it, guys? I mean, yeah. We're going to get to kind of see what Belichick is made of. And if I know anything, uh, I'm going to say that they're going to be all right. They're going to be all right. And uh, kind of what I, what do I have to go off of to be able to kind of assert that so confidently? Does the name Matt Castle mean anything to you guys? Yeah. <laughs> or, right. Or the four-game suspension of Brady after uh, deflate gate. Uh, you know, they, they did they did all right then too. So the world um, was introduced to Brissett and then to Jimmy G. Yep, yeah. exactly right. So w- that'll be interesting to see uh, kind of how they are able to kind of navigate through that schedule when presumably each of the teams in their own division is improved. Um, so they're they're not going to have as much of a cakewalk as normal. So uh, you know that that'll be interesting stuff. Rick, wanna shift gears slightly outside of the schedule talk but it it's kind of on the same path here when we're talking about schedules they're talking about opening up the facilities for teams you know sometime in the next 60 days maybe even sooner but how much does all of this hurt those first round quarterbacks that you've been studying for the last two years that were just drafted a week ago how how much does it impact them that they're they're not going to be able to go through rookie minicamp, OTAs, et cetera? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, significantly. And, you know, before I get into that, I will say because of Matt Castle, that's why I reached for the pen, not the pencil. I reached for the pen, and I've got a solid 10 wins down for those Patriots. Wow. Just um, like that, huh? Market definitely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you know, in terms of the rookie development, you know, obviously it's going to hurt these guys significantly. But when you talk about the quarterback position, I mean, you know, rookie minicamp is a, a chance for you to come in, kind of put your nose down, earn the respect of your teammates, kind of, you know, lay the foundation down for becoming that leader, right? You're the new franchise quarterback, especially these four guys. Uh, chosen in the first round. I mean, you want to hit the ground running. You want to earn the respect of your teammates. You want to get not only the mental reps, but the physical reps. You want to get down the timing with your wide receivers. You want to understand the verbiage 
of the playbook. And, you know, there's just only so much you can do via Zoom, right? And I will say this, you know, the younger generation today coming out of college is more prepared to uh, kind of adapt to this type of situation than, say, the athlete of 20, 30 years ago. God forbid we were under those circumstances then. But I think because a lot of these players have grown up with uh, the technology and are able to, you know, finagle that uh, Microsoft pad and iPad and all that stuff. I mean, this is like, you know, uh, first language to them. So I think that they can get those reps in. They can get some work in on the playbook. But, yeah, absolutely, there's nothing like uh, being in person, getting those reps in with your teammates, becoming one of the guys. I mean, this is where the team bonding begins, right? And you finally get a chance to know where your destination is, what playbook you're going to be studying, and, and, and your coaching staff, you want to get to know all those guys, obviously. So it, it, it puts everything back. Rick, just kind of overall, um, what, what did you think of this year? I know you, you talked to Mike a little bit after the draft, but I don't think we've spoke to you since the draft. How did you think it went overall? I know a lot, leading into it, a lot of people were expecting glitches, technical issues, but um, for the most part, it seemed like it went off all pretty smooth. Well, you know, I know you were tied up, you know, changing those mustard squirt diapers over there. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we had Mike, <laughs> we had Mike on going to our draft coverage, which was uh, pretty awesome. It was cool to inject them into the conversation, and we had a lot of fun uh, chopping it up during the draft. But I, I thought, you know, to me, as a spectator, I enjoyed watching this draft more. You know, a lot, I haven't seen a lot of drafts, but, you know, from what I've seen in, in, in the past on TV was a lot of fluff, right? You know, yes. the red carpet, and you come down, what suit you wearing? Hey, my mom's got this dress on. And to me, this was just more for the diehard fans that want you know, kind of uh, football talk, a lot of good analysis with uh, Lewis Riddick and Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper and, you know, that kind of uh, interaction. I thought it was, it was fun. It was different. It was interesting. Yep. And then you, you, you factor in that whole human element, you know, just being able to watch these guys at home. And, you know, there were some fun moments, too. That Vrabel household was having a lot of fun. You know, you had Mama. <laughs> pulling the girlfriend off the, you know, player. I mean, there were some really fun moments. And I think that there's some elements to this draft that we saw that are going to be here to stay. And I thought the coolest thing for me was just being inside the, 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 the employees, you know, the head coaches, the GMs, and, you know, being able to relate to, to all those days on the road and then, like, just seeing them be able to soak up that moment with their kids and their wives and their families. Like, you could just see, like, the, the happiness and, and, and so, like, rewarding to enjoy that moment. And, man, I, I, I really enjoyed the production. Like, you know, whatever you want, the lip sync was off here and there. And, you know, hats off to the whole production crew. I, I think they had 180 different satellite cameras. I mean, what they pulled off was incredible. Yeah, and seems like the feedback has been really, 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 really positive overall. And... I think we're going to see not just aspects of this incorporated into the production, but I also think that maybe coaches and, and front office members may learn, may have learned some life lessons. And Gina and I were mm-hmm. talking about this a little bit last week in that, you know, a maniac like Gruden in his younger days, you know, was known to be at in Alameda, the Raiders facility until one in the morning and back at it by five. 
I mean, probably getting three and a half hours of sleep and getting a workout in before arriving at work. And I think, and I think what, what some of these guys kind of learned was you can have a balance and be very well prepared. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I think to that point too, I mean, you know, when you're at the team facilities and you're a scout or a pro scout or, you know, you're doing draft prep, I mean, you're trying to grind the film and study players and, you know, you don't have that secretary knocking on your door every 15 minutes, hey, you got a phone call or, you know, so-and-so just walked by, popped in, you know, to have some water cooler talk. I mean, you can actually get more done sometimes by not being at the facility. And I think that's what teams learned. And it's like, hey, we don't have to, you know, be a slave to the grave and spend 20 hours a day at the facility. Like, you know, we can just kind of hop on Zoom and, and do it remotely. And, you know, what's the difference? You know, and, and I think it's, you know, beneficial. It's uh, it's a breath of fresh air. And, you know, I think the uh, old school mentality of, you know, the, the grinders, and I think Gruden has even lightened up since then. But, you know, the, the, the Tom Coughlin's, the Bill Parcells, uh, those type of coaches just don't exist in today's society. And if they do, uh, they're considered dinosaurs. You know, we only have a few minutes left uh, on this edition of the radio show and i'd be remiss not to ask get your thoughts rick on college football what are you hearing i know that coach franklin from penn state came out and said hey if if we only get a handful of teams from the conference that are are capable of playing let's do it haven't heard back yet anything authoritatively on that from the conference commissioners what are you hearing? What are you sensing? What are you hoping for? You know, once again, we've been on this show harping quite a bit on how unlikely it is going to be for all 50 states in the union to be at the exact same situation at the exact same time and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Some states are going to experience surges. Some cities, municipalities are going to experience surges. Other ones aren't, aren't going to have much of an issue at all. We don't know when and where and how and why and all that good stuff. How How is that going to play out with this college football season coming up? Yeah, and you hear Notre Dame, like, hey, if we have online summer courses, well, then, hey, we can practice and have football. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's just um, every governor is going to have a different opinion, but the reality is this, that, you know, the, the, the athletic departments are asking for a six to eight window you know, quote-unquote training camp leading up to the season. So you need at least a month and a half to two months before you even play a game. Uh, Again, California, New Jersey, uh, all the colleges, uh, schools are closed through the month of August. I mean, you know, so, okay, if you give us two months, September, October, maybe we can be ready for that Thanksgiving kickoff. But, oh, by the way, flu season is going to be right on the horizon. And I think that's the biggest fear is that college football just – can't afford to start up a season, enter the flu season, have a death or several, have to suspend the season, and then start this all back up again. I think yeah. the hardest, safest plan that I've heard is just wait till we get to the spring, start it up in February, run it through June, and I think that's the best case scenario we're looking at. But then what do you do the following season? 
Well, you you know, you just I think you have to just push the season back to Thanksgiving the following season. You know, you just yeah. have to adjust accordingly. You know, you, I think it, calendars have got to be out the, the window right now, Rick. I'm, I'm with you. The yeah, calendar's got to be out the window right now. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's not just a one-year adjustment. This is at least a two-year minimum NFL college football calendar adjustment because one calendar year impacts the following calendar year. So you have to adjust accordingly for the next two seasons. Any possibility of just taking the whole season off? The CFL sounds like it's going to go that way. Difficult times, man. I don't even know what to say when I hear things like that, you know? It's uh, it's a very fluid situation. Probably not going to be getting a lot of these answers definitively anytime soon. It's probably going to be on a case-by-case basis. You got to wonder, though, is this ultimately what it's going to take for a big breakup of the conferences, the Power Five, and kind of what we've known it to be all along? Because as Coach Franklin pointed out, it ain't going to be fair for somebody. And we know one thing about college, uh, you know, administrations, let's just say, <laughs> which is that they only care about themselves and their university, and that's all they're responsible for. Well, like we always say, follow the dollar signs. And I think, you know, the, the mega conference concept is really a matter of, of when, not if, but, you know, how soon we get there. I don't know, but I can tell you this. It's going to be interesting. The NFL came out with the city of Cleveland to announce the draft on April 29th through May the 1st. And if you have a college football season running in the spring, you're going to have another scenario where you have to either uh, cancel that public draft altogether or postpone it or push it back or have the draft during the college football season. So now you have to adjust the, the draft season calendar. If the season ends in June, well, now you got to have the All-Star Games in July. you got to have the Combine in August. you got to have uh, the Pro Days in September. you got to have mini camps in uh, October. I mean, it, it, it's really going to be interesting to see it, how it all unfolds. But to your point, Mike, we just don't know. It's all a guessing game right now. All we can do is, you know, hope for the best and, uh, you know, just hope that we have some kind of sports back here soon because I'm tired of watching the Bulls documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that, my friend. I'll tell you what, we're up against it, guys. we got to close the show right now. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you the same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.